Welcome here, everybody. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Northview, and we are so happy that you are joining us in our online worship service. If this is your first time with us in particular, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Social media, website, whatever works for you, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have kids with you, uh, we have a kids service that's available. I know my kids always love dancing around to the music, so make sure you don't miss out on that. If you're on social media, we'd love if you would follow us, stay up to date with what's going on. Uh, and also, if you have anything you want to share about how you're watching the service, use the hashtag NorthUTV. Before we jump into worship through song, uh, there's an announcement that I'm really excited about. So I'm going to send it over to Pastor Mark. Northview's vision is to see Canada transformed with the gospel of Jesus. And we believe that the best way of seeing that happen is by multiplying healthy local churches. And if you've been listening at all over the last year, you have heard us talk about our vision for the next new site of Northview in central Abbotsford. Uh, we hired a pastor back in February to lead this effort and our plans before COVID-19 were to introduce him to you, uh, to have him preach in our services and to begin to hold interest meetings. Uh, but obviously all that has changed. And so this week I sat down with Pastor Jeff and Pastor Joshua uh, to talk about our new site in Central Abbey. Specifically, I want to invite those of you who live in the Central Abbotsford neighborhood. Obviously anybody who's willing to give, pray, serve, go can listen in on this, but we have about 600 people living in that neighborhood. And we are hoping that a strong number of you would be willing to be part of the launch of this new site. So we need to get back to the service, but when you have time this week, I encourage you to click on that link, watch this video. We look forward to telling you more about our launch in Central Abbey. Joshua, look, it'll be easy. You're just, you're just starting a campus in a pandemic. No problem. Uh, we're gonna continue our service with a time of worship through song. Here's Nate and Jerry and the team. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength.
Our lead pastor, Jeff, is going to be continuing our sermon series looking at storms in the Bible. So if you have a Bible near you, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19, and let's hear the word of God preached. Can I be honest with you? I don't, I don't tell anybody this, and haven't up to this point anyway. But out of all the difficulties in this COVID-19 fiasco, uh, the one thing that I have mourned probably more than anything else, and this might make me sound like I'm kind of a bad person, I miss baseball. I, I actually didn't like baseball for a lot of years, but then my kid got really good at it, and so I started watching a lot of it. And I, I, I miss the smell of the grass. I miss sitting in the outfield and watching him pitch or hit. I miss... I miss yelling at the umpire. I miss, uh, I, I miss cheering for the kids on the team. Uh, I miss three-two pitches. I, listen, I miss everything about about baseball, and it is the one thing that I keep checking online to see how they do. I have new, more news about it. Are we going to start baseball again? My, this year was supposed to be a really great year for baseball uh, around here. Um, my, my son's team was going to be really strong. Uh, he, had, he had been doing really well in baseball, and I, I wanted to go and watch him. I was super excited all the way through the winter that as, as long as we can get through this winter, we're going to hit baseball season, and then we'll be sitting out in the sunshine, and I'll get my raccoon tan, and everything will be great. And then, you know, mid-March comes along, and one day the NBA cancels, next day Major League Baseball cancels, and the next day everything stops, including baseball. And I'm sad. I'm sad about it. It's been a letdown to me, to be honest with you. Um, and I know it's, it's a silly, silly letdown. There are people who are losing their lives, and there are people whose massive dreams have been crushed because their business has gone under. I, 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 those are far more important things. But this whole season has made me think a lot about, about letdown. I'm sure that most of us have been dealing with, with letdown quite a bit. My wife was in the car with me the other day, and she said that uh, she feels like this season is like somebody has, has just grabbed a rug, and that's somebody, the, our Lord, <laughs> he's grabbed the rug and just kind of pulled it out from all of us, and we're sort of like halfway in the air, like, oh, surprised that this is going on and not sure where we're going to land, and it does feel that way. I mean, there are, there are people who have missed, missed their vacations that they had saved up for, there are altered business plans. People had, had plans to start some great sale or maybe a new product and stuff, and all that's gone away because their staff has had to be laid off or they've had to just focus on the things that they've been doing for all, all along. I feel really bad for the people who, got, who are graduating, the, the kids who are graduating from, from university or graduating from high school. I mean, all those activities are being canceled. But it's not uncommon for people to be sitting maybe in the dark of the evening and reflecting on all of, these, all of these things, maybe the little things to the big things, and thinking, I am totally disappointed, completely let down. Well, I want to spend a few minutes with you uh, reading a story and looking at its implications about a guy who was really let down. In fact, he might be one of the most let-down guys in the entirety of the Bible. His name was Elijah. And this passage in Elijah, or, or in 1 Kings 19, really does tell the story about this guy. After having a grand high, he reaches a grand low because he feels like the rug has been pulled out from under him. 
So look, you can join me together uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 18. And in this passage, we're going to kind of see it in two stages. First, we're going to see uh, a discouraged prophet. And then second, we're going to see an encouraging God. So those will be kind of the hooks that we hang our thoughts on here, right? So here's the first one, a, a, a discouraged prophet. Look at verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 19 with me. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. You should be asking yourself, what had he done? Just hold on a minute, I'll, I'll get there. Including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So there's a lot of background here that you need to know. You jumped in kind of right in the middle of a story. Here's what's just taken place. One of the most famous passages in all the Bible. You'll, many of you have read it. Many of you grew up hearing about it. Um, the people of Israel were in a place where they had committed their lives and their attention to uh, Baal, who was a fake god. But they believed that he was real. The people of the land that they, had, they inhabited also believed in Baal. And so as the Israelites intermarried with the people of the land, worship of Baal went on the rise. In fact, the king of Israel married a woman of the land. Her name was Jezebel, and she loved Baal worship. So that became kind of the, the, the in vogue religion of the day. Yahwehism, or Judaism as we know it, was fading away. And yet God was going to remain uh, keeping his promises to the people of Israel. And the way he did it was through a lone prophet, this guy Elijah, who kept telling the king, Ahab, of Israel, listen, you, you need to repent. You need to lead the people of Israel to repentance. And God will return and he will grant you favor once again. He kept calling, Elijah kept calling Ahab back to repentance, back to repentance, back to repentance. It didn't work. It didn't work. The guy just kept giving in to his wife, Jezebel. They kept building altars to Baal. And so finally, Elijah had enough. And he, he, he says, listen, let's have a contest. Um, we'll build this massive altar, and around it we'll put a bunch of water, and um, you get all of your prophets of Baal. And there were like 400 and some of them. And you get them to call out to their god, Baal, and ask him to come upon the altar and to, and to rain fire upon it. And then I will stand, and I will pray to my god, Yahweh, and I'll do the same thing. Okay? So, little contest here. All right, says Ahab. So he, he assembles the prophets of Baal, and they go up on this mountain, and they... And they Mount Carmel, and they start dancing around, dancing around. That's actually the sound that they would have made, the chanting in a monotone voice. Around and around the altar they go. They keep pleading with the gods, specifically Baal, to bring the fire. Oh, Baal, where are you? Oh, Baal, come, come upon us. Elijah's sitting over on the side, in fact, and he's mocking them, saying maybe you should shout a little louder. Maybe he went on a holiday. Maybe he can't hear you because he's at the beach. Nothing happens. They go all day long, the prophets of Baal, all 400 and some of them, can't get, it, can't get Baal to answer. Of course they can't. He's not real. But 
They couldn't get him to answer. So Elijah stands up and says, okay, enough. He stands up in the middle of all the people and he says, okay, on this day, Israel, I want you to choose whom you will serve. So a bunch of people watching this, I want you to choose whom you will serve. If Baal is God, worship him. But if Yahweh is God, worship him. And so then he prays a simple prayer. And the Lord, in response to Elijah's prayer, short, to the point prayer, the Lord brings the fire down. He sucks up all the water in the trench around. I mean, it's, it's, it's a colossal win for Yahweh. Elijah then takes this as a sign along with some of the other people and he, and he goes at it against the, he goes basically uh, starts decapitating the, the prophets of Baal. Nice scene, eh? And these are the kinds of ones that they don't usually include, that portion anyway, in the children's version of this story. But he's killed all these prophets now. And he's, God, Yahweh has shown himself to be true. Even Ahab the king is saying, wow, there is only one true God and his name is Yahweh. And so Ahab says, I'm going to go back to my palace and I'm going to go tell Jezebel what's happened here. And so he gets in his chariot and he starts riding. And, and Elijah is so excited that he runs and outruns the chariot. In fact, about 27 kilometers. And he arrives when he gets there. The chariots are behind him. They arrive and go, how did you get here so fast? Well, I ran. And he's outside the palace just waiting, pacing back and forth and back and forth. Thinking to himself, of course, that what God's going to do in this great moment is bring revival. That's why we're, that's why we're doing this. That's what God has make, given me this position as prophet to do. And now, in my time, we are seeing the fulfillment of his promises. The entire nation is going to return to God the golden age of Israel will return. And Ahab is up there talking to Jezebel and saying, hey, you should have seen it. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, it, Yahweh did bring the fire. And Jezebel responds by sending a messenger down to the front door where Elijah's waiting for the great revival, for the king to repent and the queen to repent and everyone to repent. And this messenger comes and says, hey, this is what Jezebel said. Um, let me get this right. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. I swear to my gods, she says, that they can take my life if you're not dead by tomorrow. Now, if I'm Elijah in this moment, having just come from what I saw on Mount Carmel, the day-long pleading with Baal that their prophets did, with Yahweh coming through in this remarkable sense. I, I prayed for rain. In fact, I didn't include that at the last way I told it, but like he prays for rain and God finally brings the rain. Yahweh brings his cloud from the horizon. He comes and brings rain. Yahweh has proven himself not only to be faithful, but to be eminently powerful. And I witnessed it, and it was through me that God had done that. If I'm Elijah, and Jezebel comes down and says, you better run, boy, or you're going to get beheaded, you know what I'm saying? I'm here all day. Bring it on. You want to mess with me? Maybe, though, before you do, you should consult some of your prophets, oh, actually, there's none to consult. 
I mean, we expect Elijah to get right in the face of the messenger. You go back and tell Jezebel that I'm not leaving anywhere and you better repent or God's going to come and bring the fire on you like he did Carmel. That's what you expect. But instead, what do you get? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba. It's a town in Judah, so that's really south of where they are. It's about 145 kilometers south. That's kind of the distance between Abbotsford, British Columbia, and Everett, Washington, just north of Seattle. So it's a, it's a good walk. He goes 145 kilometers south to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no, I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Just kill me now. It's a long walk, 145 kilometers. And then he leaves his servant behind, goes into the wilderness. He's, he's basically saying, I'm all on my own here. There's nobody to help. Everything I wanted didn't come to fruition. We were just on the edge, and then the rug got pulled out from under me. He finds a broom tree. Uh, we don't have those around here, so I, I brought another picture. This is a broom tree. When you and I think of trees, we think of big evergreens, you know, and we're thinking that this guy's sitting underneath this beautiful tree against the trunk. Actually, no, in the desert, these are the kinds of trees they had. Little, little broom trees that were uh, intermittently scattered throughout the desert or wilderness region. So this, this bush might have been the only bush uh, within a, quite a distance. And he finds this tree and he sits underneath it. And there he is sitting there. And he's complaining. Just kill me already. There's no hope. What's wrong with him? Why is he so sad so soon after such a great victory? Well, what you're witnessing here is the devastating power of discouragement. I wonder if you've ever felt that. I mean, Elijah wanted revival, but it didn't come. He wanted really good things. In fact, I would say that he wanted really godly things. Like revival and the turning of the nation back to their one true God is a really good thing. I mean, he probably prayed about it. He wanted it for years and years. And finally, he looked like he was going to get it. And then a stomach punch. And so he's moping because he's been deeply discouraged that the Lord didn't want to do what he wanted him to do. The Lord didn't do what he expected the Lord to do. You know what that's like? When the Lord doesn't do what you expect him to do. Imagine um, the young couple who get married. First two years of marriage are magnificent. They're a little bit older, so they decide that they're going to have kids early as soon as they possibly can. She gets pregnant. They didn't think she could get pregnant, apparently. She had some medical difficulties, but she's pregnant. Praise God. 
They send it out to all their friends. They do that gender reveal thing where they get the blue or pink balloon and they hit it real hard with a sledgehammer and it reveals pink. It's a girl. We're all delighted. She's 12 weeks along, wakes up in the middle of the night and she's bleeding. She grabs her husband, tells him what's happening. He's not sure what to do. They call the doctor. They go to the hospital. In the ER room, they learn that she's lost the child. And there they are in that hospital looking up to the ceiling and saying, God, don't you want this? Like, isn't this a good thing? Isn't this a godly thing? We want to raise our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And here we are ready to do it. And all the promise, all the expectation, it looked like it was going to work out. And then, devastation. Imagine the business owner had a dream that he would start a particular business on one occasion and got some funding for it. He was able to start that business. Things started out really rough, right? It's just him and his partner. Things start to pick up. Their widgets are selling. More and more widgets are selling. They're on the cusp. They're going to start a new product. They're ready to go. And then all of a sudden, COVID-19. And the dream they've had for years, the one they prayed about, the one they asked the Lord about, is over. The devastating power of discouragement. See you, see, you and I know exactly what it's like to be sitting under that broom tree. To wanting to shake our fists at heaven and say, Lord, didn't you want to give this good thing to us, this godly thing to us? How does God respond to that? How does he encourage somebody who's under the broom tree. Well, I said this passage had kind of two steps to it. One, a discouraged prophet, and he is. Elijah really is discouraged at this point, but it's good to know that in the next verses, God comes in a remarkably encouraging way, a surprisingly encouraging way, but this is how God encourages him. Look at verse 5. He, he lay down, Elijah, under the broom tree, and he slept. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. And told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So since I've been thinking about baseball quite a bit, I got I to tell you that one of my favorite experiences when my kids were quite little both my boys played baseball at a very young age, uh, and they, they enjoyed it a great deal. But there was always a kid on, on, on their team. It didn't matter what team they were on. There was always some kid in the early stages, right, when the kids are like, you know, six or seven or ten. And there was always a kid who just did not handle being thrown out at first base or striking out. You know, you know the kid who's got to take, you know, eight pitches or ten pitches and they're all strikes and the coaches want to give them an extra chance, but they still strike out. There's always some kid that when that happened, he just could not face his 
teammates or his parents in that moment and the tears started to run and that, that kid would always run over to the edge of the woods, hold his arms like this under a tree and just be like, and start crying. Man, I don't know how many times I've seen this. Kids going out into the woods and crying, kids stomping off because they got thrown out at first base because they grounded out. I remember sitting there on occasion looking over at the kid who was underneath the tree and I would see sometimes their parents who would go out there and put their arm around the child and comfort them and stuff. And of course, as a mean parent like I am, I'm in my mind saying to the people next to me, you know, that kid just needs to toughen up. You know, if I were over there, I'd, I'd just be telling them off. Listen, there's no crying in baseball. Listen, there's, you're going to get out. You, if you're going to cry about getting out like this, don't play this game because most of the time, this happens. They just need to tell them to toughen up. I, I've heard that from other parents and others while the, parent, the other parent of the child is comforting it. What I expect to happen when Elijah's underneath that tree, crossing his arms and pouting, is for the Lord our God to appear to him and say, toughen up, boy. Like, it, like if, if you think that being a prophet was all going to be a bed of roses, I don't, I don't know what you were thinking. You should have you read the prophet manual because this is not the way it works. I expect that. But that's not what I get. What I get is a God who actually is putting his arm around his child and encouraging him. And that's what happens here, right? God cares for him in the midst of this guy's frustration. Even though he's pouting and angry at the Lord and everything else, the Lord comes and he, and he helps him. You know, this, is great, this great passage, Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, that I think we probably should own a little bit more in our, in our day-to-day walk with God. Sometimes you and I think that God is, um, is expecting us to be like a child who doesn't cry. Right? The guy, the kids who's over there and just toughen up, either the lips quivering, I'm not crying, I'm not crying, I'm not crying. We, ex- we expect, okay, that's what God really wants. He wants us to just, just deal with it, just take it. Doesn't want us to cry about it, especially not cry out to Him. There's this lovely Psalm, Psalm 103, verse 13 As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Isn't that lovely to know? That even though we might have questions and critiques of God and we want to say, how long, O Lord, like the other Psalms say, the Lord is not shy in hearing those things. He's not worried that you're going to somehow say something wrong. He knows what you're made of. He knows that we're but dust. He knows our hearts are broken easily. So the Lord encourages him with some, some food. But, but the story's not, not over, and the encouragement's not over. Verse 8, um, Elijah gets up, and he drinks. And the food gave him enough strength to travel, now listen, 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. You, like alarm bells should be going off in your head if you know your Bible. Wait a minute, that sounds an awful lot like Moses. Didn't Moses spend some time on Mount Sinai and receive the law from God? Yes. Didn't Moses spend like 40 years out in the wilderness? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. There he came on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And Elijah replied, I've zealously, look, listen, I've zealously served the Lord, God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Like, I got a bone to pick with you, Lord. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, says the Lord. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm, right? Storms. Hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He repeats the same thing he said before he saw the storm on the mountain and heard the still small voice whisper. What in the world is going on here? A couple things you need to know. Uh, first of all, um, it's about 400 kilometers from the wilderness where he was underneath that broom tree down to Mount Sinai. So this, I mean, that's, that's a good trip that he's made all, all the way down here. That's basically from Abbotsford to Salmon Arm. So he's walked this distance in the wilderness all, all the way down to Mount Sinai. He thinks that he's the only one who's been left. He's the only faithful one, and he's going to go up and be with God. In fact, he's going to be just like Moses. I'm going to spend 40 days out here, and I'm going to Mount Sinai where God and I can be alone because I know I'm the only one left, and then I'm going to die up there. All his fault. He holds up, holds up in this cave, and he asks God the question, or God asks him the question, what, what are you doing here? Now listen, there's two different ways that you can ask that question to somebody. Um, you could do it in a way that seeks to know the answer, right? Like, hey, what, what, you know, what are you doing here? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't expect you to be at the party. I didn't expect you to, isn't this a lovely surprise? What are you doing here? And then there's a way to ask that question that's got a little edge to it. What are you doing here? Not only did I not expect to see you at the party, but you being at the party is actually not a good thing, right? You break in on your kids, and they are in a, in a house filled with drinking and weed smoking, and you're there to tell them to turn the, the, the music down, and you look over, and your son is over there with a girl. You walk up to him, and you say, what are you doing here? Not, hey, what are you doing here? Isn't this a lovely surprise? What are you doing here? You know the answer to the question. You're, you're rebuking him. Mildly, maybe, but you're rebuking him. So the Lord says this to Elijah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he complains, Elijah. Listen, here's the deal. I'm all alone. There's nobody left. There's all, worship of Yahweh's gone. My entire life's work is ruined. They've broken the covenant. There's nothing good that's going to happen out of this. Come out here. 
says the Lord. Comes to the entrance of the cave. Storm! Wind! Earthquake! Fire! These, I mean, these, seriously, in the ancient world, these are like the worst things that can happen to you. Winds come and they blow houses down. Earthquakes shake them from the, from, from the ground and they, and they bury them. They didn't build uh, houses earthquake-proof in those days. And fire just consumes them. These are like the three most violent, most dangerous things that strike fear into your heart. And it says that God was not in any one of those. None of the big stuff was the Lord in. But he was in the, in the still small whisper. And then he asks Elijah again, what are, you, what are you doing here? And Elijah repeats it because he didn't get the object lesson. Because that's what this is. This is an enacted lesson. Come out to the door, Elijah, and I'm going to teach you a lesson. Here it is. I am not acting like you expected me to in the grand, big, earthquake, fire, wind ways. I know you love Mount Carmel. I know you love seeing the power of God come down from on high and the rain come in the great moment of victory. I know that. And I know you expect me to bring revival through that means, but that's not how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in a quieter way in a whispering, behind-the-scenes way. Your plans might be one way, Elijah, but my plans are entirely different. Verse 15, then, the Lord told him, go back the way you came, travel to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. So here's the plan. I got people waiting in the wings. They're going to take over for you. They're going to do some great work. Verse 17, anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. I got a, a three-pronged approach here to bring revival in the nation. But verse 18, I will preserve, Elijah, 7,000 in Israel who have never bowed the, down to Baal or kissed him. But don't, don't think that you're alone, man. I'm preserving in this nation quietly 7,000, just like you, who've never bowed down to Baal and have never kissed him. And I will bring, I will bring my revival, just not like how you planned. But my way's going to be better. Really, that's the Lord's point here, is my way's going to be better. Elijah. Elijah's not so convinced. I mean, the rest of the story, he's still mopey. But the point in all of this is just because God isn't acting the way Elijah expected doesn't mean God isn't acting. At some point, at some point, you and I are going to have to decide whether God's plans are better than ours. And so we open up our hands in grateful submission to when the rugs get pulled out from under us, knowing that our lives are in the hands of a faithful God who loves us. Either we choose that path as Christian people, or we choose the path of the clenched fist. We find our own broom tree, we shake our fists at God, and even though we might get a hint that he's working things out in another way, we're still bitter because he should have done it our way to begin with. 
So you can surrender to the Lord. In moments when the rug gets pulled out. Or you can remain mad at him. Do you know uh, the disciples, when they were following Jesus, they expected him to be the great king who was going to come and beat up all the Romans. And you can imagine their feeling when uh, he gets arrested, gets put on trial, gets thrown on a cross and dies there. (laughs) Talk about a letdown. Talk about a letdown. And they moped. They found their own little trees. They found the upper room and moped and worried. But you and I know this story. Three days later, through death, Jesus rose again. Thereby defeating death and all that it means, thereby taking away the danger and the sting of death for all who would believe in him. So it's through the sorrow, it's through the difficulty, we we see the great resurrection take place. In other words, you can't take a snapshot on a Friday when you know that Sunday is coming. Sunday is a better plan. If, if they had it their way, they just would have taken the kingdom by force. No victory over death. But Jesus had a bigger, better plan. Even though it diverged from what they wanted, he had a bigger, better plan. He always does. He always does. I have a friend, uh, actually, was talking to a while ago. They, they have a child with special needs. And uh, the child plays sometimes with uh, other kids in their home. You know, when you have a child with special needs, and uh, the de- developmentally, your child doesn't, doesn't move as quickly as ch- other children their age. And so it can be kind of disappointing when you sit in the same room and you see, you know, your friend's child interacting with blocks or doing all sorts of things, and your child just, just not just zoning out or just not be, having, even being able to sit up or whatever it is. It's very easy for, as a parent with a special needs child to sit there and to start to envy and to start asking questions in your mind underneath your own mental broom tree. Why can't I have that? Why wouldn't you want a healthy child for me, Lord? Why would you not want a child who is able to do all the things that all the other children do? My friend was telling me that uh, his wife had to take their, their child into the other room the little guy with special needs, and she was rocking him in the, in the rocker, and she could see through the slit in the doorway, you know, your eyes have to adjust when you go into a dark room. There was nothing. It was, it was just all darkness around here, but she could see through the slit this other child playing out at the feet of their parents, and she was in tears, saying, God, why can't I have that good thing? And then her eyes started to adjust. And she looked down. She was finally able to look down and see her little boy in the midst of the darkness looking up at her with his lovely eyes. And it was then that she realized that she had the best thing. God knows what he's doing, even when we don't see it yet. Our faithful and compassionate God is always seeking to give us the best thing. Let's continue our worship service in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are uh, faithful to us in the midst of every season. And 
even especially in the storms of our lives. Lord, there's so many uh, people that we know who are going through difficult seasons and uh, with their health, with their finances. Lord, we even think of uh, the people up in Fort McMurray dealing with an actual storm and flood going through their city and people being displaced and uh, reeling from another natural disaster just a few short years after uh, the fires. Lord, I I pray that by your spirit, you would be a comfort to all those who are going through storms. Lord, it's so easy for us to have our our issues uh, heavy on our minds and uh, the biggest things in our minds. And so, Lord, we we pray that uh, the good news of Jesus would be even bigger, that as we see the the sorrows and the struggles, we would be reminded by your spirit of of the goodness of Jesus of your son who has come to, to give us hope, to, to give us life. So Lord, be with us as we walk uh, through the different seasons that we're in. We're so thankful that we, we have a, a deep assurance that you are God, you are real, you are close, and you are working in our situations. And Lord, as we have an opportunity uh, to give I pray that you'd help us give uh, with generosity and with uh, sacrifice as we have the opportunity to serve people around us. I pray that you would help us do that uh, with with energy and with joy. Lord, I I pray that as we go through this week coming up, uh, that you would be guiding us each step of the way, that even though things may be swirling around us, we would know deep down that you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we have an opportunity uh, to give of our money. We don't just give because it's something we have to do. Uh, giving is an opportunity that, that we have to, to worship God through our tangible stuff. It's, it's a declaration that we trust God to provide for us in every situation. And we're also trusting that God uses the money that we give to further his own purposes and having the gospel go forward. So if you're new to Northview, please don't feel any obligation to give. But if you do want to give, there's all kinds of ways you can. You can uh, go online, northview.org, and give through our website. You can text to give at the number below. You can send a check in the mail to our Downs Road campus. There's all kinds of ways, but however you want to do it, uh, we just ask Uh, that that you would look into your own life and, and try to figure out what would be a joyful gift, what would be a sacrificial gift so that we can trust God with our, our things. So those are your options. And now let's go back to a time of worship through song with Nate and Jerry and the team. Yeah. 
Thanks so much for watching. We hope you join us next week. We're gonna be finishing off our sermon series on storms, but in the meantime, our ministries are gonna be putting out content just about every day of the week to help us uh, continue in our faith. So keep connected with our social media. You'll see it posted there. The last word of our service is gonna to go to God's word. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 36 say this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week.